Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner Post Game Edition. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here again with Marcus Washington. We are joining you live on tape delay after Georgetown actually lost a game at Hinkle. Butler beat the Hoyas 63-55. The Hoyas, again, had an 11-point lead and ended up on the wrong side. Yes, it was early, but they were up double digits. We'll get to that later. Jamarco Pickett had a bit of a bounce-back game. He's been struggling the shooting wasn't there, but he had 12 points and 11 rebounds. He also had a season-high four assists, just one off of his career high, which is five. Javon Blair had 11. Butler, freshman Chuck Harris, who is from the D.C. area, freshman guard, had 18 to lead all scores. The home team in the series had lost the last nine games. Georgetown had won the previous four games in Hinkle. They fall to 6-2 and two at Hinkle all-time. The Hoyas have now dropped four straight games this season. Marcus, I think I got most of the stuff out of the way. Hoyas only scored 21 points in the second half. Butler ended the game on a 10-0 run. I think I'm probably done talking here. Um, We were on just the other day. What did you see in tonight's game? Well, I saw, you know, some really, really good things in the first half. Now, you know, Coach Ewan has said, and his last availability that they were coming off the best practice they had had all season. And at first the ball was moving. It was like they were playing fast. They were being unselfish. They were doing some of the things. I was like, okay, yeah, this does look like a team that has coming off a good practice. They were, you know, they were up and down on defense, but the effort was there. And then it just morphed back into the same things that, that is spoken about every week. Turnovers that are just absolutely positively awful. I mean, some of them aren't even forced turnovers. They're just turnovers. Then the offense got stagnant. The ball quit moving. Guys were just getting the ball, kind of sizing up their defender, taking mid-range jump shots or contested jump shots. And then next thing you know, the same things that we've watched all season just crept up. So just you just get those those brief moments of hope where you're saying, you know, maybe they are turning the corner. Maybe they are doing things well. And one of the things that Coach said tonight that I thought was right on time was this time around, you just can't say, well, Dante Harrison is juice. This time around, he had a lot of veteran players that were just doing boneheaded things that allowed Butler to get back in the game and ultimately um, allowed them to win. Now, I will say this about Georgetown. There were two possessions down there at the end where they held them to the end of the shot clock. And then you get a shot from Bryce Golden where he steps out, gives Butler the lead right at the, uh, at the buzzer of the shot clock. And then the same thing with Thompson when he was well covered and he flips it up and, and it goes in. So, you know, again, there's a little bit of good there, but it's just still too much bad. It is. And I wrote before the game this week, and I suppose – I suppose Chuck Harris has a shot at being freshman of the week again. But one of the big things was they were just letting guys go off against them. Happened Seton Hall, Miles Kale, happened Marquette, Jamal Kane. That didn't really happen today. Butler kind of reminded me, and you can tell me what you think from your coaching perspective. We saw a bunch of backdoor cuts. You know, we saw, it looked to me like there was, I was like, wait, is I watching Georgetown from five years ago? It, it seemed like, <laughs> They got real deliberate on offense, 
and started picking them away. Yeah, there was a couple Golden who is, I guess, local-ish. I believe he's Winchester. Yes, he is. And I say that because his brother at Richmond would have been the absolute perfect point forward for when this team played that style. Did it feel like the deliberate action for Butler? I mean, I I know people were coming at me, and I kind of did it sort of, you know, tongue-in-cheek or whatever, but I said at one point, I think when it was 42 to 36 or something, that, you know, Butler was getting good shots. They just couldn't make anything around the rim. Wahab was kind of, he wasn't blocking shots, but he was he was disrupting things. Do you think that they just got, they just sort of wore Georgetown down with how deliberate they are? They, they kind of just kind of, it's kind of like a really plotting team, right? Yeah, and I think they must have seen something in film that shows you that Georgetown's defenders, and again, this has been a problem all year, uh, they stare at the ball. So instead of being in help side, and I don't want to start getting too technical on here. Instead no, of being good. in good. help we, side. We like it. And, and being both, both man in the ball and jumping to the ball, um, what Georgetown frequently does is they get flat-footed and they're staring at the ball. And you know that because Butler, on multiple occasions, not only get a backdoor cut, but they get the backdoor cut from the baseline. It wasn't yeah. from the wing. It's from the baseline, which yeah. tells you that your man is doing nothing but staring where the ball is. And you would think D1 school, veteran team, that you wouldn't be able to get those things. But Butler saw it. I thought they did a good job a couple times. I didn't think they went to it enough. A couple times they put Wahab in screen and roll from the wing around the free throw line-ish. And I thought that was good because when Golden would step out, now it's a shot that he can make. Now, I know they were talking about during the summer he improved the shot, but I do believe that he's 0 for 9 from 3 this season. So, obviously, he has not improved enough in game situations, but there was times where they went screen and roll wing around that elbow-ish, and so when he steps out, that's a shot where he's a threat. thought Butler would do that more, but when they started getting the backdoor cuts that they got, they were getting exactly what they wanted, and on top of that, they did not have any fear taking, you know, the Georgetown guards down below the free throw line and trying to get them there. I thought that Georgetown's inability to do anything defensively was why Jair Bolden, a former George Washington player, um, why he was effective at times, even though he didn't always finish around the rim, he was always keeping the ball alive for Butler or so it seemed for them to get additional shots or to draw a foul and to do those things. So it's just, it comes to that Georgetown probably has not been a good defensive team in the Ewing era at all. But at one time, at least they had enough offense to mask it. Now they don't have enough offense to mask it, which is to your point, why? Unless the game is high scoring, they just don't win conference games. Yes. That's a great segue. So, including the Big East tournament, which is obviously against the Big East teams, Ewing's Hoyas are 20 and 43. Okay. It's not great. Obviously, they had the one good year. Clearly, year one was a complete, you know, redo. Then year two, you know, you go nine and nine in conference. Okay. That's kind of, you know, things, things are looking up. Last year, bottom falls out, all that stuff. Georgetown, when they score less than 80 points in the Big East, they're six and 36. They don't win. They they cannot. The lowest point total 
And this is what I tweeted to people when they were coming at me. I said, look, you know, people are like, oh, you jinxed it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure me tweeting in Fairfax <laughs> County jinx what was happening in Ankle Fieldhouse. Okay. I'm I'm sure. Okay. Georgetown's under Ewing, the lowest point total where they've won a Big East game. And it happened once under 70. 69 in a game against St. John's in Ewing's first year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They don't win. They have to get to at least 75. And this team isn't built that way. And I kind of tried to ask him about it. I wasn't even sure what to ask. I mean, you know, how many times do we ask what happened in the final run? Which, if you're writing a straight game story, that's what you want. You're, you've got your, you know, you've got your graphs. You want to plop in your quote and then you go home. Like, I get it. I've done it. I get it. But, you know, when you're not doing a straight game story all the time, you want to try and figure out what's going on with this team. And we've been lucky. We've had Ewing a lot. We had Ewing yesterday. Hopefully we get him before Syracuse just because that's probably their biggest game of the year. Although unlucky for them, it's up against Washington football playoff game. But, you know, you try and figure out what ways. And so I asked him, I said, can you, can you, are you guys built to win a low scoring game? And he gave the answer you're supposed to, you know, well, we have to win no matter what it's like. And that's true. But do you see the way they play? I mean, there's no way that they can win a low scoring game. They They need the possessions to go up. Right. Which is why this goes back to recruiting and is why I'm a little confused on um, having three basically seven-footers and having to play that way. Uh. The truth of the matter is is that he needs dynamic wings and a dynamic guard, a dynamic point guard. Doesn't always have to be a scoring point guard, but a dynamic point guard. And if there are two things that the program does not have right now is a dynamic point guard and threatening wings. So what he needs to do in these low-scoring games, you can't have Kudus Wahab only have eight shot attempts. I mean, that has to now be 12 to 15 every night if you want to have a chance at the end of play. On top of that, you have three seven-footers that you really only trust one. You only trust one. So I'm just a little confused what the other two are not doing where you can trust them with continuous minutes. So this all goes back to your, what you're saying. So now you don't have a team that can win this way, but you have a team that's sort of built this way. And in being built this way are all these flaws that now get exposed that didn't get exposed before. And so they need to have a Wang who can get to the front of the room. They need to have a Wang who can hit a three, just on call hit a three. And they don't. They take too many contested threes. Um, There was a stretch tonight, and I know probably Blair was feeling it, where he was almost at the the ear of the the Butler dog. And he took a horde three that was completely unnecessary. So unless we see something in the future that brings those pieces to Georgetown that he can coach in a way to get them up and down, I don't know how this changes at all. With Jamarco Pickett, you know, I'm not even going to start it with no offense, but um, I just thought that for him, he would be further along than what he is now. And again, tonight, and I didn't chart it tonight, when I rewatch the game tomorrow, I'll chart it. He just, to me, takes too many unnecessary contested shots, or he takes those in-between, like, mid-range shots, which he has not been adept to making this season. Now, yes, he did make – um, a couple of threes tonight, but again, that's just not who he is. And one of my biggest disappointments is I really thought that by the time he got to his senior year, 
that, um, especially being a senior in college, having been getting all this playing time since being a freshman, that he would be one of those guys that, you know, you don't say, oh, he's an NBA player, but you would say, man, you know, that senior leadership, he brings so much to the program and no, he's probably not going to get to that next level. Maybe he'll play overseas or something, but he's not even that right now. He's just, He's just out there. Yeah, I think we definitely know who Jamarco Pickett is. And I thought he was going to, after his first year, I thought that he was going to be a guy that, you know, probably not get drafted, but be more in the NBA radar than I think he, you know, is or actually, you know, isn't, isn't currently. That's interesting because I actually, I went from, in, Jamarco's four years, that now it's year four. I went from being frustrated when he only took threes to being now mm-hmm. that's what I kind of want him to do. Because, I mean, you look, he's four for 16, but he was three for eight from three. I think he's your classic three and D guy. He can't put it on the floor. They don't seem to end up getting him mismatches down low like Jacobson did said. I'm not saying what Jacobson said is wrong. I just felt maybe I wasn't paying attention very closely and then it just seemed like Jacobson was kind of bringing fire. I was like, wow, you know, like, okay, okay. <laughs> so I actually think, you know, on this team, and I pointed out in the preview that I wrote that his struggles and obviously the competition's gone up, although they didn't play very many non-conference games. His struggles right. are lined up right when Jalen Harris left the program, who's more of a traditional point guard. Or I shouldn't say that. He's more of an experienced point guard than Dante Harris is. He was getting more assists. He was at the top of the Big East in assists. I know he did have his flaws, like we all do. But Jamarco's sort of slump is right lined up with Jalen Harris leaving the program. So is there anything? That's fair. What do you think about the rotations? This might be the last maybe game topic we talk about because God, I mean, all these games end up being the same somehow. God bless everyone for listening. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, the rotation, because one of the things that kind of baffled me was, I believe T.J. Berger was in. Yes. This was like around, in the second half, like as we were going around five-something. I was like, wait a second. How did he get back out there? And, you know, no offense, but why is he out there? No, Marcus. He didn't get back out there. That was his first appearance. Right. He didn't play in the first half. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, so it was he, the, mm-hmm. he goes in, he gets you know, a turnover, gets beat on defense. Like, what, what are you expecting from him at that point? I was baffled. I mean, I was stunned when, when I saw him out there. I was just like, wait, what? You know, um, it it was a little strange, and you know, I don't think that tonight, um, because it wasn't an extended post game tonight, just what didn't seem like it was going to be a night where you could get a chance to ask Coach Ewing right. why he was out there. But I'd be really interested in knowing what was the thought process to putting him in at the time that he put him in. He's been pretty consistent with just saying it was his gut. You know, I asked him the other day about, you know, you have a lot more options than you did last season, and you went with Clark for whatever reason Blair was benched. I think we can assume it was some sort of mild disciplinary action is my guess. Obviously, it wasn't too bad because he played 37 minutes, but he didn't play the first two. 
So mm-hmm. you could have gone with, you know, Sibley played. You could have go, you know, gone with experience with uh, Belay. You could have gone Berger because he plays the same position, but he chose Clark. And, you know, he was saying how great he is and his intensity and he earned it. And then I said, well, what did he do that didn't earn more minutes? And, oh, you know, it's the way the game was going. It was my gut. So, I, you know, it's not good to answer the questions before you ask them. But I think we fall mm-hmm. into that trap sometimes trying to, what can I say to elicit a response? Not necessarily like controversial, but just something with some, you know, meat to it. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up um, Trudier. Uh, what did you think about his minutes tonight? Because he had, he had 12 minutes tonight. I thought that he was playing in a way where he would have even more minutes than that. Um, he only played seven minutes in the second half. I, I really thought that he had earned um, a chance to have more time tonight in that second half. What did you think? Yeah, I think I think Chudier, what we've come to know now, and what is this? This is today was game ten. Georgetown is three and seven, one and five in the Big East. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. that you find out really quick because he, if you go to Ken Palm, he's their number one player for usage, which includes you know shots and turnovers. So when he's in, you notice, and yeah, really you notice quick if it's going to be a good Chudier game or a bad one, and. Seemed like it was going to be a good one. I totally agree. You know, it's a shot. He's coming down and getting the next one up. Like you know it. It's. I would even call it a heat check. I think it's just that's just the way he plays. He plays on momentum, and you know he actually he got to the line. He got an and one. You know that's another thing too. If you play when you get in a, a slugfest, it's hard to win when you don't go to the line, right? Right. Yes, indeed. You know, so Georgetown was six or eight from the line. Butler wasn't exactly living there. They were 10 for 15, which, you know, is about double. I'm not a math major, but it's, it's about double. So if they don't get to the line. Yeah, I think I can see why in a year that's just kind of a a year to get to next year, I could see why they brought him in. I think he's obviously pretty physically capable of playing in the Big East. I don't know about necessarily a lot of minutes, but. I do think that there's nights where you're going to get more of him than you're not. And I thought I, I, I did think tonight was going to be that night, but yeah, I almost had to pause the game when I saw Berger in. I was like, what is going on here? Like <laughs> he's been sitting there for hours, you know, and that, that just, that just, that seemed really difficult to do. We, we got our cameo from Sibley after he had seven points last game. We saw a little mm-hmm. bit of Clark um, and going back to what you, and I think, I think NY said last, it wasn't even last week. It was just a couple of days ago. If you're playing for next year, it is a little surprising that we're not seeing those guys kind of thrown in a little bit more, right? I think that's probably the most yeah. the most surprising part. Oh yeah, no, there's no doubt, and uh, especially in games where you've had so many leads um, early on, and so you can kind of put them in first half. You're not really losing that much when you're up by you know nine, ten points, which they have been up by that much. Get them, even if it's only like two and a half to three minutes, get them there, get them ac- uh, acclimated in case you do want to use them in the second half. But they're not getting acclimated to the game. And if I'm a freshman and I'm in that situation, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't even know how to react to my freshman year if, you know, one game is seven, one game is four, one game is eight, um, especially when probably the thought process was, that they were going to get some time this year, of course. Wasn't going to be 30 minutes, 
But I do think a lot of us thought that maybe it would be around 10, 12. Some games maybe it was going to be that 16, 18, and you're just not seeing that. Now, back to your point that you made earlier, there was not a bunch of -of out-of-conference games where you kind of like stack up your win totals, where those guys could have gotten more minutes. But at this point, um, I don't know what you lose by giving those guys some first half minutes, getting them in there, and getting them maybe some extended minutes somewhere else in the game to help their development. Because a lot of these guys that you're giving minutes to that are being unproductive, by the way, they're not going to be helping you next year because they're not going to be there. We we think. Um, that's probably questions for the end of the season. Hopefully a part of the season that we all get to based on, you know, the health, the health problems in our country. But, you know, have some of those guys thought about coming back? Have some of those guys, are they going to be welcome back if they want to come back now? Probably won't get the real, the real answers, but I think it is good to ask some of those guys, particularly, you know, this is obviously pure speculation in a situation where Javon Blair wanted to play a fifth year of college basketball since he's able to based on what's going on this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting I know anything here. This is just me just looking at it. And okay. I think he'd probably be a coveted player by other, other teams. Yeah. Yes. You know, just someone that can just come in and just put it up. Doesn't have to be the best player on that team, but I think that he is someone. Now, this is obviously getting way, way ahead of ourselves, and I forget why I just brought. Oh, I brought it up because you said that these guys are done playing college basketball, which, in a yeah. normal year, it would be. This is anything but a normal year, and these guys do have the opportunity, should they choose it, to continue their education and also play play some more uh, basketball. But you know, that's clearly down the road, and this is not me trying to start speculation this is just sure. what i thought about while i'm talking to you right now and as a coach too you mentioned getting the leads wouldn't you rather see a player a little bit in the first half to kind of know what you have from him rather than tapping him on the shoulder cold if, if you give you know burger a couple minutes in the first half when you're up 10 or 11 and okay you know what burger just nailed a shot like he's kind of feeling it or you know he's in a good rhythm i think it, it it's it's tough, I think. If you're not if you're not a pro, I, I could see in the NBA, okay, that makes sense. These guys are getting paid millions and they're the best in the world at what they do. But I think it's pretty hard, right, for a college player, particularly a freshman. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's why that's why it seems so strange. But you want to get those guys in, especially when those guys haven't had really heavy minutes all year. And then to put them in that position in in a game like this, at the point where he puts them in in the second half. It's difficult. I mean, what do you expect for him to do? These guys got to get warmed up. They got to get a feel for a game, especially a game like this that's really not up and down, as you said earlier. It's kind of mucked up. So there's really no rhythm. So you bring in a guy who's a freshman who doesn't have any rhythm because he has not played into a game that does not have any rhythm. And it just doesn't, you know, you have to ask yourself, where's the awareness by the coaching staff? Because at that point, even if, your plan beforehand was to get Berger in. You have to look at the score, the time, the situation, and you have to say, you know what, maybe I'm best, even though that's what I intended to do, maybe I'm best if I go with someone else, if I need to steal two minutes of rest for someone to come off the floor. So there has to be some sort of coaching awareness in that too, because my my question would be, well, what was your expectations for him 
when you put them in that spot, considering that you hadn't played them at all. Yeah, very, very surprising. And I, th- I think people do want to, I would say this, and obviously it's a very small segment of the fan base, but the good people that reach out to me on Twitter and the people I see posting on casual and on message boards and stuff, I think would be perfectly fine with the freshmen playing more and they'd be, and by perfectly fine, I mean, they wouldn't be attacking Ewing for playing the freshman. I think it's sort of what people want. So it's kind of like a win-win for him. Not that I think it's that he's in a, a spot where he's sort of coaching for his job this year. I don't think that's the case at all, but I just think from an optics standpoint, I don't think he's going to get any heat from the diehards that are still living and dying with, with this team. No, and I think it would make a lot of sense if he did do that, considering the the class is coming in next year, which, you know, I'm so hesitant to bring that up, even though I always bring it up, because you and I both know when we get these classes that are so hyped up, very seldom does the class as a whole actually live up to what the, the standards that were set prior to them getting there. And it's always that, oh, we're next year's team. Well, five years down the line, you're still next year's team with next year's recruiting class. So it's a very dangerous thing to think of. But for me, I would like to see these guys play more because if you expect for the class next year to contribute, if that's what you expect, then this year's freshman class has to have some sort of experience because someone has to be the adult in the room and it has to be more than cute. He can't be the only adult in the room. So this has been your chance. You had um, you had a good reason behind it if you didn't have a good year because of COVID-19, you got into the gym late, so on and so forth. So you had everything laid out there that you could use. And I agree with you. I do think that if that was the case, the fan base would be patient. Like, hey, look, hey, look, he's getting these guys experience. And then, you know, we're bringing in a five-star and a couple of four-stars next year. And, and you know, this is going to be, yeah, you know, this is going to be the team that gets us to the Final Four in two years. Now, whether it's true or not, uh, but you know that's what fans will say. But when you're playing veterans and you're one in five in the conference and you lose double-digit leads, it seems like every 15 minutes, um, then the attitude is very, very different. It is. Well, so today was crazy, not because of basketball, because of, you know, assuming you're not living under a rock, you saw that there were, I don't even know what to call them. I've seen protesters, rioters, terrorists. Um, I guess depending on what you did when you were down in D.C. today, you could fall into any of those categories. And not to minimize, and I already mentioned this to you, Georgetown between COVID and location, it's been pretty amazing that they haven't had a game postponed. I, I guess they did have a game switched out, but you know, they haven't, they have, it hasn't been to game day where, Hey, you know what? You're playing UConn tonight. And now you're not, they did move that UConn game, but you know, if this game had been at McDonough, they wouldn't have played tonight because of what happened at the Capitol. Right. And yes. And it, yep. And even though it happened, and I wasn't sure I was honestly, I felt it was probably best for Georgetown to win, to bring this up post game. I know that even though Ewing is in charge of a group of college students, you know, they're not pros and there's a lot of different angles, but anyway, he's Patrick Ewing. He's a big deal. He's cultural, you know, icon, things depending on your age, I suppose. 
but he brought it up with a statement. He doesn't do statements very often. You know, he said, I'm saddened to see as a proud American, all the difficulties uh, that are happening, people breaching our capital, all the difficult things that are going on there. I hope that the Washington area folks in our Georgetown community continue to stay safe. Later on, he answered a question from Patrick Waring about dealing with the kids. Uh, I wrote down a couple things real quick. Just bear with me. You know, we always talk about everything that's going on in the society, Black Lives Matter, riots, police killing uh, Black youth, men and women. You know, this, you know, he talks with them about about all these things. He said, you know, talks to them about their platform to speak up. He said this is what Coach Thompson did with, with him and those teams, you know, everything that he's learned. This is just me kind of paraphrasing the notes I jotted down while he was speaking post-game. Everything he's learned from Big John and his mother and father. You know, he's basically said he's a you know, he's a walking al- almanac and it's you know, he feels like he needs to pay it forward. That's what that's what Big John did. And he talked about how being a coach is just like being a parent. What were your sort of takeaways in listening to to Ewing speak about this, who I think does have an important voice? Oh yeah, I I think he does. And it was it was really, really good to hear and I was glad that he started off with a statement. You know, just some of the things that he went through socially when he was a player at Georgetown, um, has impacted him obviously throughout his life, along with playing for Coach Thompson and what um JT two uh stood for. And it is important to him, and I think it should be important for every coach because I think that a lot of times the fans do forget that these are college kids, and we lose sight of that because they're always on TV, and we think they have this this awesome college life and awesome college experience, but they're kids. And as a coach, you should be responsible to them because you have parents at home of those kids that you've probably promised. You've promised that you're going to take care of in their two, three, four years, however long that they're there. And it was good to see that Coach Ewan um, takes that very, very serious because obviously when he came to Georgetown, he was in that situation. He was on that other side of having uh, JT2 having to take care of him and kind of watch over him and that father figure and all those things. I cannot imagine um, just remembering some of the things that he went to went through, um, what that was like being that age and some of the – these social barbs that were thrown at him. And so I can see where what happened today would definitely really, really touch him and kind of bring out what he feels like is every coach's responsibility to his players. And um, I thought that what he said was, was right on point. And um, I share his sadness and his disappointment by the actions downtown today and like you said if this game's at mcdonald's not played gw didn't play the umass game um today because that was here so um i'm glad that coach i saw some arlington schools tweet out that they weren't playing tonight because maybe arlington has a curfew so arlington and alexandria both put in curfews um this afternoon uh i don't remember his time was either six o'clock or eight o'clock and the school I coach at, we played in Arlington two days ago. So obviously if we had played there today, um, we wouldn't have played. But right now there's currently a curfew, I think, for today, and I believe it is tomorrow. Um, so uh, hopefully things can settle down and, and, and whatever uh, uh, this course that was brought to the Washington, D.C. area that, that those people can – vacate the area and go back to wherever they're from. 
yeah, it's it seemed really surreal. I got home from what I was doing and able to kind of catch some of it on TV. And then I actually thought to myself, wow, I wonder if they'll play. I saw that there were some NBA teams. I don't know if they ended up not playing or they did something special before the anthem. I honestly, I don't totally know. I can tell you this. I wasn't sure if we should start with this, but then I felt it's hard to transition back to the game, if that makes sense. So talking about what Ewing said is not me trying to minimize it. It is me feeling like, well, if we started with it, how do we then talk about, oh, so-and-so didn't do this or, you know, they blew a lead again. It kind of seems silly. Even after his statement, I was just like, wow, do I really ask a basketball question now? Because he's got a group of, you know, 18 to 22 year olds that are, you know, they're going to they're going to fly back to Washington, D.C. after I'm sure seeing what's going on not too far from where they go to school. And that's freaking crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought that talking about it latter was was definitely uh, better because of the seriousness of today's action and how it impacts anyone who lives in this area. And obviously both of us are impacted in a certain way uh, by these things. So um, again, I'm glad that coach Ewing said something. And for, for those guys who are on campus, they are the next generation. And and, um, I know I didn't necessarily go through it, but I know the generation before me went through some of the um, social unrest and some of the, the changes that, probably made my life a little bit easier. And this next generation, they're going to be taking that torch and trying to ensure that the generation that follows them um, will have it a little bit easier than, than what they've had it. So I'm glad it's brought up and um, unfortunately it happened, but um, you know, it's just like a basketball game in this sense. A lot of times you'll be remembered by how you reacted and how you responded to things like this. And that will define you more than the action itself. Yeah, no, we could have just let off with that and then just dropped the mic. That's pretty good. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, I guess before we get out of here, I want to thank you for coming on again. And I'm not sure for anyone that knows the schedules are kind of up in the air. This is more podcasts than we've ever had because we're not on site. So it makes sense to kind of try and fill that void. And um, I've had so many people that have helped out and you've been someone that I've just recently leaned on in a couple days. That being said, I know that you do like all sports just real quick. How unfortunate is it that Georgetown Syracuse is opposite Washington having an NFL playoff game? It's terrible because yeah. Georgetown Syracuse, Georgetown Syracuse, even though obviously they're not in the same conference anymore, boy, if you grew up during those times, you still watch that game. And that game is still important. And I hate to sound so cliche-ish, but it's still important no matter what the two teams' records are. And yeah. in a season like this, it probably means so much to Georgetown. Yes, uh, obviously this, this year has not gone the way you will want to script it. But, boy, wouldn't a win over Syracuse feel good. And so the idea that that's going to be overshadowed um, by a team that's under 500 yet made the playoffs, um, is it is unfortunate for Georgetown. and Georgetown, Because you know how the coverage is going to be. It's a playoff game. It is the NFL. It's the local team. We can always argue where they fall into the importance of sports in the D.C. metro area. 
but they're somewhere one and two, you know, no matter whether you want to put them at one or not. So obviously that's where all the coverage is going. But um, I, I feel bad for it. But you know what? Uh, probably like yourself, I will have multiple TVs set up watching both. Yeah, for someone that covered most of the Washington football game uh, on site, I'm not going to be there uh, in a COVID year. It's just the way it's going to work out for me. So a little bit annoyed by that, but at the same time, it probably works out for the best because, you know, if you don't have at least two TVs in your basement, what are you doing? So I do. So I'll be able to watch both of them and get the press game and, you know, maybe do a podcast. We'll see. But uh, (laughs) so it probably does work out, but I do feel bad because I don't know what ESPN has the rest of the day. I haven't looked up and down the schedule, but it just seems like, what do you, you know, do they have a playoff game early? I just don't know why they can't have that game at, at noon. Basically the game's, when Georgetown's the home team recently, after they left the league, it's been Fox or CBS. And yes. they've been on ESPN. This game actually isn't even on ESPN. It's on the Deuce, which I'm sure most people don't care. But I feel like when you're a little bit older like we are, there is certain connotation to being on ESPN, too. It's, you know, it's ESPN, too. So I don't know what happened there, but I think it's definitely a mistake. And you know, we just talked about really serious stuff and now we're back to silly stuff, but I think for <laughs> silly for silly stuff, this is just, you know, stupid. I don't know if um this is a regular thing um when you when you do your post game if but I'm gonna say it right now, I won't go out on a limb. I think Georgetown ends up beating Syracuse on Saturday. I really, really do. I think they, they walk away with a win and it's going to be one of those situations where one local team wins and you probably didn't pay that much attention to it while the other local team gets drubbed, and that's on the news for, for 24-7 here in the city. Well, since you decided to put out a prediction, how <laughs> many points do you think it'll take to win the game? Better be I in the 70s, Georgetown, I tell you that. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to even give you a score. I think Georgetown wins 73-67. to 67. That's a score that could win by. Based on what's happened recently, yeah. That is that that's a working <laughs> – margin and a working total um yeah you don't want to get dragged down into the 50s i saw syracuse tonight was up 18 and lost at pitt a game in the 60s so i feel like no, I, I feel like syracuse had sort of like last year my my take on it was they had like the knockoff mcclung ah uh, yeah what's his name G- giardi or what, what's what's that kid's name i'm i'm trying to think of his name now i I know who you're you're referring to. Joseph and... Gerard. Hey, like, hey maybe maybe McClung started a, a trend. You talk about knockoffs, maybe he started a trend. He he just seemed like a bit of a bit of a knockoff. Oh man, we can't go into this. I get yelled at when we talk about the transfers. I will say this. I'm stunned. I was trying to end it a couple minutes ago. I just can't stop talking. I'm stunned by the lack of production from LeBlanc at LSU. I don't know if you've seen it. It's bad. I've not seen it. It is that bad, huh? Well, since we're here, I'm going to punch it up. <laughs> I, I didn't think he was an NBA kid, but he seemed like, wow, this is like a four-year college, you know, really good player. So he's only played in four games. He's averaging – 
1.8 points, uh, four rebounds. He's not playing a ton. He hasn't started. I don't know what's going on. He might have some family stuff going on. I know on the LSU website, he's listed as Josh LeBlanc Sr., which he wasn't wow. listed at Georgetown. So I think we all know what kind of life-changing event that is. And I don't <laughs> know for sure what's going on, but that's what I, unless it was a mistake on LSU's website, um, that's obviously a big, a big responsibility. But I really, you know, Akinjo, McClung, blah, blah, blah. LeBlanc to me was like, wow, you got like yourself a really good four-year glue guy, a kid that you don't have to run plays for. He's going to score just because he's active and, you know, gets rebounds and stuff. So. Yeah, no, um, I have paid more attention. I'll be honest with you. I've paid more attention to McClung and Akinjo. Um, Unlike most in this area, and I will admit this, I actually uh, was a big fan. Of, of James Akinjo. So when he transferred, I I definitely wanted to um, follow and kind of check up on um, what he's doing out there in Arizona. And frankly, I don't mind watching Pac-12 basketball. My problem with that is, is that DirecTV never came with a contract with the Pac-12 network. So I can't see as much Pac-12 basketball as I would like. Um, but when I have been able to see him, um, I've, I've been happy that that Akinjo has done well. Well, it looks like he's just doing the exact same thing. I'm looking at his numbers right now. Mm-hmm. To me, what's he's a better three point shooter. It's about equal, but his two point numbers are just so bad. Well, he still has a problem, and you saw this when he was here. He still has a problem with driving the he ball into contact. Yeah. Yes, and. If you're his size and and you're not a good finisher around the rim, you know that's a part of your game that you you certainly you have to change. And somewhere down the line, he's probably going to have to change it because I think we have enough data to say that this is probably who he is. It is. No, it is. So he's getting about the same amount of attempts. His minutes are you know up a couple a couple minutes. It, it's it's. I mean. Uh, you know, while we're doing this, Jesus, I brought it up. I guess I'll go to McClung's page in a second. But it, it's pretty much who he was here. And yeah. I think we all agreed he was a good player here. You know, we don't know exactly. I, my suspicion is that the focus of getting the ball into Omir just wasn't something he was all that interested in. <laughs> after After year one, where you had... Jesse playing up on the perimeter a lot, and there wasn't this. We got to pound it down low. We got to pound it down low. And between the huge people, forget the way. Remember the way that season started? Mm-hmm. They're down twenty to Mount St. Mary's and have this just ridiculous comeback. Yeah. So you know, between that and then they end up losing to Greensboro, and you know, who knows what happened? I'm just this, again, just like my Blair comment twenty minutes ago. This is all pure speculation. Yeah, McClung's pretty much doing the same thing. Yes. His, yeah, there, I mean, he's pretty much uh, – I have on TweetDeck, I've got a column for Georgetown, a column for Hoyas. And so I just – it's like the matrix. You know, you just see things coming through that you don't necessarily follow people, but they just kind of make it. Yeah. So there was, I think there was a very disgruntled Texas Tech fan that said, oh, you know, he's the same kid he was at Georgetown. Well, you know, what did you expect? <laughs> well <laughs> – I think he's the same kid offensively that he was at Georgetown. I do think on the defensive end, and I, I have watched a few, definitely watched a few Texas Tech games. Um, 
I think he tries harder on defense. I don't think it translates into him being a better defensive player, if that makes sense. I think he tries to get to the right spot. I think he tries to beat his man to the spot. He tries to be in help side. Um, he He's just not very good at it. Now, at Georgetown, there was times I was like, ooh, is he trying or is he just doesn't know? Um, but he's yeah. trying at Texas Tech. But what I think what, what we're finding out um, and I'm using the collective we, yeah, is that yeah. the same thing you said at, with Akinjo. At the end of the day, this is like who he is. What you saw here is who he is. There wasn't going to be the magic potion from Coach Beard that was going to turn him into, you know, some player that he wasn't here at Georgetown. That's that's the guy. Now, you might say at Texas Tech, because the system and the conference he plays in, it's it, acclimates them more and they'll have a better chance to go into the tournament and go deeper into the tournament. I give you all that. But as far as him being a different cat, nah, he isn't. Well, for him, at least he gets a chance if there is a tournament at Kinjo. And it was yeah. crazy. I tweeted about, or I just, you know, I quote tweeted, I think it was an AP article about Sean Miller in Arizona, you know, self uh, postseason ban. And yeah. I said, you know, Kinjo for things that he didn't do, which is what sucks, right? Because he wasn't part of any of those problems that happened. It affects the kids that stay and the kids that show up. And man, a lot of people came at me and were like, well, he, no one made him go there. Like, damn dude. Did you have have a rough Christmas? Like, damn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you know, he's a West coast kid. I think he played for the Oakland soldiers and, You know, I was like, wow, I, I was just, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, it's Twitter, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's Oakland kid, you know, so obviously Arizona's not mm-hmm. Oakland, but, you know, it's the Pac-12 and it's all that stuff. I I actually do think that sucks for him. Do you? I oh, mean, I do. I'm 100% with you. I do think, um, and again, self-imposed, and I think that's important that that you said that because it would be different if, the NCAA had, had, you know, enforced this prior to him getting there, then I could somewhat understand, like, hey, well, kind of like, why'd you go there? But, I mean, he got there, and they said, you know what? We were in so much trouble because of all of these things that Sean Miller may or may not have done um, that we're just going to go ahead and punt this year because if you're ever going to punt a year, this is the year to do it. And you're right. Now, unfortunately, he's caught in the middle of that by no fault of his own. Yeah. You know, this is my podcast, and I make an effort to do it. And I think I think we might have to just come up with a like uh, uh, transfer roundup or, I don't know, do an alliteration. I don't know what the, what the T would be. But I'm actually interested in what these guys are up to. I can't believe people people were telling me to get a life that I'm obsessed with these guys. I'm like, this is very, I think, interesting for the current team and the staff because you have a kid that goes somewhere and like if he dramatically improves somewhere else, then you look back and you say, is it just because he was always on that path or was it different here? Does he does he regress somewhere else? I think that's completely for like a new coach like Ewing. We don't have you know we don't have 20 years of you you know you can look at all the all the transfers under Big John, and most of them didn't pan out, you know? 
Because for the most part, when guys transfer, it's because they're unhappy and, you know, they have unrealistic expectations. These three guys were all kind of different. So I think that there is value in it. And we got to start doing this more often, just checking in. Not every time, but, you know, maybe once every week or two or something. But I think it's very interesting. I I will admit that I follow I follow transfers because I do want to know what they're doing uh, for another local team. You know, Luke Hancock was a transfer, and I oh man, him. that's a tough one. I mean, I mean, so uh, I definitely uh, because of this class, and I felt like um, Coach Ewing had just given them such an opportunity as freshmen that he trusted them yeah. so much and gave them keys to the car and everything and that they're not here any longer. Yeah. I am interested in, in uh, where they are and what they're doing. And if they want to put me in the same category as you as being obsessed, then I, I'm guilty as charged. I mean, I think it would be obsessed if I was live tweeting updates during his games and stuff, but I'm not going right. to lie. You, you know, on my second TV, I've got the Amazon fire stick. And if you use that, you know, you go to ESPN plus and it shows, you know, for whatever game it is, they'll show somebody. So every time it's Texas tech, guess, guess who they show. Yeah. You, you know I mean? Like um, him or not, yeah. think he's overrated, underrated, whatever. Like he is kind of a big deal in a sport that's become kind of faceless except for the coaches recently, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so I I I've, I honestly do not track when they play, but because they're ranked, it's easy because, you know, they have a little number by them, so their scores get on the bottom scroll quicker and all those types of things. But I've seen it on, on the fire stick where it's Texas Tech, I think it was Kansas. That's obviously a big game. I'm not following yeah. it to that level, but it was, a you know, McClung's big faces right there. I'm like, oh, let's check in and see what he's up to. So definitely not obsessed, but I think it's completely worthwhile. And if you've gotten over the fact that, you know, if you broke your heart or whatever, you know, I think it's, I think you would want to be like, how are transfers faring when they leave? Good, bad, indifferent. Like that's, you know, same thing as when Georgetown gets a transfer. Are they better at Georgetown than they were at their last stop? Like this isn't that complicated. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And, um, like you said, for for JT two, it just never seen my, the first person that came to my mind when you when you brought up uh, Georgetown and some of the transfers really not doing anything in the past was Anthony Jones, and I know I'm dating myself when I say that, he, that he's one of the guys he left Georgetown, huh? He's 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 a really interesting case, actually. Hmm. Oh, Anthony Jones is a really interesting case. So he ended up at UNLV, if my memory serves me correctly, right? He did. Do yourself a favor. I for whatever when when McClung transferred, because like I said, most guys don't leave Georgetown and do better. I wanted to look up all the guys that transferred and made the NBA. It's a couple of them. Uh, John Turner, mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Tucker, uh, Jones was in the NBA for a little bit. Yeah, and. His, his Wilbon at the time was the Wilbon at the time was the Georgetown beat reporter. And if you Uh-oh. Google it, 
he has the article about it online. It's it's crazy. It's just he was sort of hurt. Oh, and, you know, mm-hmm. He had some he had some sort of injury, and then Thompson basically at that point Thompson just like the amount of riches he had was just so ridiculous that he didn't even need him. Yeah. And he was friends. He was friends uh-huh. with uh, Tarkanian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were friends in Nike. You know, back then, um, they had uh, deals with Nike. I believe both of them did. Coach Thompson and Coach Tarkanian before those deals were uh, made with the universities as opposed to the individual coaches. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so this is crazy. So the, there's five guys from Georgetown that have transferred that have played in the NBA. Anthony Jones has the most games. He was a first-round pick, drafted 21st. McDonald's All-American. Anthony Tucker, like I said, was a McDonald's All-American, went to Wake Forest. He was not drafted, but he, he played 62 games. John Turner, I think he's another local guy. He got drafted. He played at Phillips. I don't even know what the hell that is. Might, is that Oklahoma? I'm not even sure. And then you don't get another transfer that plays in the NBA until Vernon Macklin, another McDonald's All-American, played parts of, I guess it was just one season. And then Jarrell Benjamin had a cup of coffee. Yeah. He had a 10-day contract. Yeah. It's not a long list. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's worthwhile. I mean, you certainly don't want to be the kind of school where the guys leave and they just always do better. You know, you want to be the school where, where you know, it's rare that it does. Not, not that you're not rooting for the guy, but you just don't want to be, you don't want to be a stepping stone school. Uh, you know, that's just, that's not where you want to be, right? You don't want to be a stepping school job for the coaches. And you don't want to be, well, you can't, you can't really, can't really get better there. You got to go somewhere else to really, really spread your wings. Yeah, certainly you don't want to be that that stepping stone but i'm i'm definitely going to look up the the anthony jones article that that you referenced uh because now that intrigues me yeah he had some sort of injury and thompson was like you know just it's okay just take your time and then like i said he was i mean the recruiting at that point was just ridiculous and he's like you know what why don't you go play with my buddy in vegas and he's one of unlv's top they did a top 50 players a while ago He's on the he at that point he was he was on the list. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, you know, next week we can just do a pod only about transfers. I'm sure everyone will listen and love it and give it a great rating on Apple on on uh, Apple Podcast. I am sorry to have steered the show into uh into an abyss. No, I think I might just start doing that. I mean, we can't keep talking about blowing leads. That's not fun. So Transfers aren't fun either. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I am on the cusp of guaranteeing it. They will win Saturday. Well, that should make for an. I mean, I tell you what, though, if the press conferences go at the same time, I might need to get on Bayheim because when they lose, he's incredible. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He was. If if you remember, of. he was particularly biting. Um, after he was killing a Kinjo last, last time. Yes, he was. Uh, I thought it was somewhat unfair, but he was definitely killing them. Well, it's also self-serving, right? Yeah. 
because yeah. oh instead of oh you lost without their point guard it's well look how much better they are now you know that's why we lost they're better than they were last week I mean, it was very self-serving but that doesn't mean i didn't enjoy it right, <laughs> right. yep it was uh, uh... I should try and get on get on the list for for West Virginia and Syracuse zooms just to catch those guys. <laughs> yes, no doubt. I never had the pleasure, and I'm sure um, you did, but I never had the pleasure of being at a Jim Calhoun press conference when he oh, lost. I tell you what, it was tough to hear him because he talks so fast. It's truck really oh. tough to transcribe. I mean, it's just wow. Okay. Back back when I cared about the biggies so much. Right. Everyone did. Everyone did. Yeah, I caught the last part of Calhoun. I mean, just the I didn't start covering games till two thousand and two thousand ten, eleven season. So I caught oh, okay. I caught a couple years of him before. I think he's coaching still. Yes, he's at that small uh, school, it's a D3 or NAIA or something. It's, it's, it's a tiny school he's at right now. St. Joseph's. There you go. Um, that doesn't even seem fair. They are D3. Yeah. Well, Do you think his name still carries any weight on the D3 recruiting trail? Well, I think that, you know, all D3s are not created equal. No. So it looks like they were twenty six and three last year. So yes, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> yes. You, you know, know that's that's an interesting point by you when you said that all D threes aren't created equal because that's so true. They're not, but there there no one um, cares enough to talk about or worry about the disparity on that level. You got D3s that can compete with like the lower ends of D, you know, D1. And then you've got the mm-hmm. D3 non-scholarship, you know, where they're just filling out teams and then you probably have intramural squads, not intramural squads, but you know what I mean? You've got you know, you've got you've you've got I guess most places don't have JV, but you have mm-hmm. schools where there's players that could play at that level if they wanted to and they don't. It's it's just it's a whole different ball game. And some of them are just so cost prohibitive. You know, right. Um, that's where you really come into it. But yeah, there are some D3s that are legit, and there are some D3s that that's why I always tell people like, if you want to play D3, you can probably find the school to match up to your talent level. It's just not, it might not match up to your, to your wallet. Yes. Yep. No doubt. That, that's not to take away from anyone that plays D3 because there is something to be said about being on a team and, you know, competing and going through practice for four years and all that stuff. So I'm not trying to, you know, say that they're not, they're not good, but there are some lower level D threes and there's some D threes that are legit. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, people can find you MTC Mook. Is that what it is? I always forget. MTC with Mook uh, on with. Twitter. Yeah. It's, yeah. With uh, Twitter, Instagram, it's all the same handle. You can find me there. 
argue with him there. And I'm sure he's going to be tweeting later about this great Michael Wilbon article that I've, I've, I've sent him towards. Yes. Yes. In fact, I already have that article up on my screen. Do you? Nice. It, it was an elbow injury. <laughs> <sighs> it's interesting. Yeah. It's crazy to think that that's what, that's what Wilbon was, was up to. I know. I know. Yes. All right, I'll try and find something else. I think there's something else I found, but I'll I'll send you a message. Everyone, thank sure, you for no listening. Problem. We're going to come back soon with Transfer Corner. It's going to be just transfers 24-7. And I know you can't wait. As always, thanks for having me on. I really enjoy these. Yes, I will hopefully talk to you very, very soon. All right, thanks, man. Thank mm-hmm. you.